Welcome back to another episode of the Next Level Minds podcast. My name is Chris Chapman, and I am your host. For those of you who are sitting down with us for the first time, then this is a podcast dedicated to those who want to reach a next level in their business, personal, or career life. Every other week, I'm blessed to sit down with a fully qualified guest, entrepreneur, content creator, or mover and shaker in their industry, and really walk through their story of how they've gotten from point A to point B and overcame various adversities along the way. Now, before we dive into uh, today's episode with today's guest, I just wanted to reiterate my main goal, which is really to impact over 1 million people by helping them reach a next level in their business, personal, or career life. So if you have not done this already, please take the time to subscribe to uh, Next Level Minds on Apple Podcast. And if you're really feeling special, leave a review, let me know what you think, how I can improve, maybe any guest suggestions. would love just to hear some feedback there on the reviews. Other than that, I want to go ahead and introduce today's guest. I'm sitting down with Jake Bajorseth. He is the founder of Trendsetters, which is a Gen Z agency helping brands understand and reach the Gen Z generation. Uh, Jake is only 21 years old, but with his company, he's been able to work with some uh, Fortune 500 brands like McDonald's, North Face, United Healthcare, and much more. He's got a very interesting and risk-taking story of really dropping out of college uh, to start his organization. So on this episode, we're really going to touch on what it really means to market to the Gen Z agency. And then we're also going to go through some risk and everything that he took uh, earlier in his entrepreneurial career. So I'm super pumped to sit down with Jake. He's got some amazing content on uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, and TikTok as well. So be sure to check him out there. Other than that, though, as we like to say here at Next Level Minds, your mindset is your greatest weapon for the battle of success. Jake, man, super uh, pumped to have you on the Next Level Minds podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. I know it's been a minute since we last spoke, so thrilled to uh, to reconnect. Yeah, dude. So before we started recording, you said you got the massage. Are you feeling all loose and ready to go? I think so, for the most part. You know, um, I'm one of the more uptight individuals you can ever communicate with, and uh, you know that said, it's it's good to get get a little bit loose every once in a while. Yeah, yeah, man. Stretching will definitely do that for you. By the way. Yeah. No, I need to be stretching more. I need. There's a lot of like maintenance things mm. that I don't do. It's kind of like, you know, if my body and mind are like a car, I'm always throwing new nitrous, other, you know, auto parts on it to make it faster and, and perform more efficiently, but I'm never like putting more air in the tires or like cleaning it. You know, it's just forget about that. <laughs> oh yeah. That, well, that's not fun to do that stuff, you know? No, no. Let someone else do that. <laughs> yeah, man. I've been doing like five minutes stretching before bed and that's honestly just been a game changer throughout the week. Yeah. That's one of the things in my routine that I should be doing that I skip every single time. Um, so I need to start prioritizing that a little bit. <laughs> yeah. All right. So fun question for you. I know you're in Kansas. I mean, what, when you're not obviously grinding and stuff, what's kind of the, the fun day thing to do? I've actually never been out to the Midwest or anything. So, oh my gosh. Okay. So the Midwest, I, you know, I think the Midwest is best known for its party schools. Um, the university of Wisconsin, like you got some good party schools in the Midwest, 
frankly, the reason being, it's because like, hey, what the hell else are we going to do? <laughs> yeah, Nothing to do. We might as well drink. So, but, but, but for me, you know, over the past three years, um, you know, I've lived downtown. I grew up and I'm currently located in Leewood, Kansas, the parents' house for the next week. It's been awesome getting back here. And people are always like, oh, Kansas, you know, it's like a farmland, right? And, you know, the city, not at all. Ironically enough, though, like I am in a suburban neighborhood and there is like a farm, like literally right there. So it's it's very much some of that. Um, but no, I mean, I think it's it's activities that, that anyone else would do. What I, you know, what I like to do in my free time, um, I'm actually oddly enough, like more introverted than people might guess. Um, hmm. I like hanging out. I like reading a book. I like going to doing crazy workouts on the weekends. That's one of the things that I always pride myself on. Like, okay, let me go run 10 miles of the weight vest and see if I can do it. So for me, for the most part, there, you know, and with COVID, COVID was a good excuse not to go out. But frankly, like I've gone out less over the past three years than I did probably in my first month in college uh, mm. four years ago. So yeah, I mean, I would say for me, not a whole lot of social activity, just just grinding and having fun with with what I'm doing, which I think is uh, more important, arguably, than than this so-called balance word that we like to say. I think the reality is, like, if you can have fun with what you do, then then find a way to do that. Yeah, I love you said that. And to your point about the workouts, I remember following you on Instagram like during the winter time, and what be like. 30 degrees, you'd be running 10 miles or something like that. Yeah. And what's funny too, is I'm an awful runner. I hate running. I have the worst. I run like a penguin. If you've ever seen a penguin waddle, <laughs> so I'm really bad at running, but it's just one of those things that I hate. And so therefore it's, it's kind of good for me. Um, and I think mm -hmm. it's so important in business to, um, be able to put your mind in a different, different, uncomfortable state. We, you know, we spend so much time mm -hmm you know, in our day-to-day -day working and hustling at what we're doing. And it's all, you know, numbers up here and just all, it's just so much stress on your brain. That's a different kind of thinking. And mm. I think if you can put yourself in a situation, I'm, I'm not the type to, to, you know, of course, yeah, it's good to work out. It's good to stay on top of it's go for light run. But I think it's important to, to put yourself in physically uncomfortable situations where it's not just a workout that, that you can, you're getting through. It's like, no, I'm putting myself through a living hell where the only thing on my mind, I'm not, I can't worry about any business activity because I got to get through these five miles in the freezing cold winter. Mm. And the only thing I can think about is the next step forward. And, and I think it's really good to put your mind in those different situations where you can focus on the objective at hand and the task at mm. hand and forget about all the other nonsense that's, that's going through your brain. Yeah. That's so cool. Like I've never really heard it put that way. Do you think it, kind of helps relieve some of the daily stress of obviously running your own company? Yeah, no, I, I, I think 100%. So, um, you know, it's something that, that I definitely struggled with when starting out and getting into business. Um, I saw that while I used to be an athlete and working out all the time, that I was neglecting that. It was, just, mm. it was just maintaining. It wasn't ever growing or doing anything intense. Um, and then I started integrating that a little bit more. And it's been incredibly helpful because you know, when you put yourself in a crazy situation of that nature, one of the things we did, I want to say last fall, me and uh, my COO at the time, um, we had a day where we ran a marathon, then did a thousand pushups, 500 pull-ups, and then 12 mile walk, which is walking at about a 20 minute mile pace with a 50 pound weight vest. Um, and we did all of that in one day. And then obviously the next day is a full recovery day. 
And it's just like to have 48 hours where the only thing you're worried about is how much your leg hurts or how much your foot hurts or how much your hands are bleeding from pull-ups. Like it's just so good to get yourself away from everything um, and get yourself away from it. You know, for me, a vacation or going out with friends, it, that doesn't do it for me because I'm not fully there. I can still be thinking about business and still engage yeah. in social conversation and relax. So for me, I always have to put myself in a situation where it's like, there can be nothing on my mind right now than doing the next rep or taking the next step forward. Yeah, that's so cool. And that's so funny you mentioned running a marathon, literally coming from the guy who said he hates running. Yeah, I know. I hate running, but um, that's why I actually just signed myself up for a marathon, trained and trained for it in 40 days. And now it's funny because I, I, I run, you know, I pretty much run every day, but I don't run like more than mm. a couple miles. So I'm not by any means ever ready for marathon. But now that I've done it once, which was one of the worst experiences of my life, now I know I can go out and run a half marathon or a marathon without any training because I'm like, hey, I've already done it. So now I know what it's like. And so, you know, I just can put myself in that situation again. I'm like, hey, if I did this once and survived, I should always be able to do it again. Um, and so it's being able to kind of reach back up, up on that and, and have that past uh, achievement that's like, Hey, you know, I already did this once and I hardly trained for that. So now I should always be able to do it again. And, and that's a big goal of mine is mm. continue doing the things that maybe I hate, but, um, it's things that I know are, are developing character and other traits that, that I might not get from other places. Yeah, that's a good point. And I heard, um, I heard Andy Frisella mention this the other day. He said, the, the more times you do the things you hate, the, the more you love the things you love because it just makes it so much sweeter at the end of the day. Yeah. I couldn't agree with that assessment more. I think there is something to be said about, um, you know, especially as someone who, when I, when I dropped out, you know, I left with nothing. I was 18. I was often the parents book and, um, um, living in Westport, Kansas with a drug dealer. And my, it was the worst apartment ever that you can imagine. Um, and working 12 hours a day, seven days a week. And just throughout that process, like I noticed that I enjoyed my work so much more. And over the past year, you know, then I leveled up and, and over the past year, I lived in a penthouse in downtown and I had nicer things and I didn't have to work 12 hours a day, every day. Um, and I noticed myself getting, you know, having less fun with it. And I think that's a part of it is um, I wasn't in that, that position where I was incredibly hungry and had to be. And so really over the past uh, year or, or for all of 2021, I've been really trying to think about how I can put myself back in that position of, of not having anything, you know, of course, without losing the business, right? Because I don't want to lose what I've worked for, but I'm yeah. always like, how do I tap back into that super hungry kid that didn't have anything? Because when you have a chip on your shoulder, you're just going to always outperform anyone without one. Yeah, man. Let's touch on that for a second. So obviously that's like a big risk of just dropping out of, out of school uh, to start your company. So, so what was that kind of like, I guess, around like the 2016, 2017 timeframe when you were starting trendsetters? Yeah, man. I mean, it was tough. I was always, uh, I was always a good student. I, I kind of had like a halfway scholarship to, you know, it was just the university of Kansas. So it wasn't anything crazy. Um, but it was a, it, I would say it was a tough process. But looking back on it, it's one of those things, and, and it's so so ironic because it's actually this week, um, well, really the month of May, I should be graduating right now. And oh, wow. 
now I'm having conversations with my old college buddies that are graduating and what, what's going on in their world. And, and being able to look back on that, I'm not only just incredibly grateful for the decision I made, um, but also I, I don't regret anything. And I think there's a lot of people that maybe are on that fringe or having that conversation with themselves, whether it's about dropping out or maybe it's about even going to school. And, and I think it's vital to not let regret um, or the, 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 the fear of missing out maybe um, or the fear of potentially having regret really dictate any sort of decision because I think whatever decision you make, there's no wrong or right decision. It's just a matter of what you make of it. Um, and so mm-hmm. for me, was it the right decision to drop out? You know, I can say yes right now, but maybe if I stayed in school, this happens and this happens and this happens and this happens and, and who knows, and, and maybe I'm in a better position right now. And maybe, you know, the finances and the business aren't there, but maybe I, I just met the, the, the girl that's going to become my wife and I'm the, the happiest I could ever be. So you just, you mm-hmm. never know. And, you know, while I'm glad I made the decision I did, I also understand that maybe that wasn't the best decision in hindsight. So, there, you know, I'm not an advocate for one or the other. I'm not an advocate for, you know, there are ever a, a right decision or a wrong decision. I'm just such an advocate for, hey, whatever decision you make really doesn't matter because that's just one pathway. And, um, you know, maybe if there's a parallel universe, you'll, you'll get to see that once you die. Um, but, for now, knowing what we know as humans and knowing that that's not guaranteed, um, for now you've made the decision and make the most of it. Yeah. That's so cool. You, like, I've never really heard, uh, a risk decision like that put like that. I've never heard of it as like, there's no right or wrong. It's just what you make of each situation. I really like that you mentioned that. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, I think that's vital because when it comes to making a decision of that nature, I think so many rate or, or, or maybe weight that is weight a lot of big decisions in their life based on risk and reward and pros and cons maybe. And while that's okay, what you really need to be making that decision based on is how well you know yourself. Hmm. And if you know that that yourself, you know, for for me at least, like dropping out, what was going on in my head is you know, I heard the risk. Okay. The risk is the business goes under, I have to go back to school and bada boom, bada bang. And, and the way I played it out in my head, I was like, wait a second, the risk is better than what I'm doing currently. Like I'll just get an extra year. I'll get to stay, I'll get to stay in college for another year. And now I'll have a year of business under my belt and I'll be able to talk about it and it'll be really cool. And what's so bad about that? Like, I see that as a win-win like, okay, I lost a year of time. I graduate when I'm 23 and not 22. Oh my gosh, it's the end of the world, right? No. Um, so I, I think if you really know yourself, then any decision you make, no matter how risky or the potential reward for it really doesn't matter. Um, because if you know that whatever position you're in, you're going to be happy and you're going to find your way. Um, then I, I don't think you can ever make a wrong decision necessarily. Yeah. And I, th- yeah, and I think that same situation can apply for a little bit later in life when you graduated or just dropped out and have a job and you're like wondering if you should jump to the startup that you're working on. It's like, you can always try it for a year and then get another job down the road. Oh, 100%. I think there's so many people right now and it's important. Um, God, this is one of my favorite things. Don't be a flat, like, don't be a flat squirrel. What that means is, you know, you ever drive down, maybe this is just a Kansas thing. You're driving down the <laughs> and the, you see the squirrel in the middle of the road the ones that end up flat and dead are the ones that don't make a decision. It's so much more important to get rid of worry. You just rip the bandaid off, go left or go right. It doesn't matter at the end of the day um, and make that decision. So I think for anyone in that, hmm. that, that moment of consideration, 
it's much better to just say, Hey, here's my final decision. And it's not to say that, okay, definitely leave your job and go start the company or definitely stay with your job and forget about the company you want to start. But it's maybe the decision is, uh, okay, I'm going to agree to myself that in six months, in exactly six months on on this day, on this calendar day, I'm going to pre-draft the email to my boss right now. I'm going to pre-send it. It's scheduled out for that morning. I'm going to quit and I'm going to go with my company. But then you know, and then you can plan your life around that. But for the individuals that wait for the right time for things, what they need to learn is that there's never a right time for anything. And if 2020 has taught us anything, it's indefinitely that. Um, so if you're waiting for the right time to do something, then that time's never going to come. It's much better to just, you know, granted, flip a coin, make a decision. It doesn't matter, uh, because you're going to make the most of it regardless of, of whatever decision you make. Yeah, that's so true. There's never really the right time. And if you wait for the right time, you're going to, you're going to honestly miss out. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And, and every second you spend waiting or worrying that that's my, one of the biggest pieces of advice I pushed to my team of 20 year olds um, who, who are often in that same kind of headspace always wondering and worrying about things that they frankly don't need to be is I, 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 I um, I'm like, if you spend so little as a minute worrying about something or thinking about or pondering, that's a minute that you could have come up with some great idea for one or the other that would have propelled you to that next level. And, and that's not guaranteed. Mm-hmm. All the time you spend worrying about decisions is time that could be spent improving those decisions. And I think it's much more important for people to just get rid of worry entirely. Worry, we need to just get rid of the word. Like the all the worry and stress that people let build up and fester in their mind is frankly a waste of time, energy, and effort for them. And one of the things that's been most beneficial for me is frankly never allowing that to sit with me and always just making a decision and understanding that even if I make the wrong decision, it's better to make the wrong decision than no. Yeah, I totally agree. So how did you, I guess like dropping out yeah. along those lines, how did you deal with, I guess like the worry and the doubt? Cause I'm sure there was a little bit that, that came with it. Yeah. I mean, I would say there was some, but I actually had, you know, I had a conversation with a buddy, um, Timmy with uh, the dreamer team, he's on the, the Charlie rocket tour. And, um, mm. you know, we were talking ab- about this, but if I'm going to be totally honest, like there wasn't ever a worry, there wasn't ever a doubt. It was 100% confidence. And the reason that it was 100% confidence, you know, that's certainly like a trait of mine that I've always been blessed with. But the reason there was always 100% confidence and zero doubt is because I was cognizant of the fact that if I didn't have 100% confidence, then it wouldn't work out. Um, hmm. it's only having that 100% confidence that would allow for a potential, you know, that doesn't guarantee you're going to win. Um, but it gives you the best chance. And so for me, I would always squash any doubt or worry. And I, I, I think that's my best advice for those that do make the leap into something that's a little bit more high risk is to never allow yourself to spend any time with worry or doubt. Um, it's best to frankly, just ignore that, cut that out entirely. Um, because all of that doubt and worry, you know, doubt and worry, they don't actually help you. it's like, you know, if there's a grizzly bear that walks up right now, I could worry about it. It's not going to protect me from the situation. I'm screwed no matter what, you know, and that, 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 that millisecond I spent worrying about it is a millisecond. I could be running away and and Mm. get maybe five seconds extra on my life or, or who knows, maybe I, I'm I'm able to run away from it, but you get the point. Um, All that time spent on doubt and worry is frankly a waste of time. And I think you need to have 100% confidence with whatever, whatever it is, uh, that, that leap of faith that you're going into. 
Yeah, for sure. And <clears throat> I guess so like you touched on the doubt and the worry. Did you have any, I guess like peer pressure, if you will, from, from friends of yours in college, it's like, Jake, what are you doing? Like you should stay. And if so, like, how did you deal with that? Yes. Lots of peer pressure from friends, family, network, you name it. Um, this was what I applied and, and it's not great. Uh, frankly, this is just not great advice, but, but it's worked well for me. And I, I haven't heard anyone else talk about this actually. Um, so I love sharing it. What I started doing is I said, I'm only going to take advice from individuals who I would 100% right now, without a doubt, you know, no different than a trade happening in the NFL. I would agree to that deal that I would trade my position in life with theirs right away based on their age. So, you know, it could have been, you know, I, I would get advice from maybe a, a CEO of a company that has 500 people, but they're 55. And what I said in my head is, wait a second, I want to do something bigger than that. So I'm not going to, you know, I'm sure that advice is great, but I'm not going to listen to that advice. And so there's really only been one to three individuals I've ever had in my network that I 100%, no matter what, will listen to their advice because, you know, one of the guys is worth half a billion dollars and he's in his late fifties. Like, yeah, I'll listen to you and, and yeah. the others doing this and, and, and so on down the line. So that's one of the, the, the principles that I really implemented um, when I was starting out and, and it's really served me well um, and it's difficult, but, that's really the, the best way to do things. People spend so much time taking advice from people whose opinions, frankly, just don't matter. You know, you, you, and, and what they don't realize is that your family, your friends, and your network are all, it's not even their fault, but they all have a subconscious bias to want to keep you in the spot you're in because they need you to be that friend. They need you to be that son or daughter. They need you to be that coworker. And so, you know, while it's not conscious and it's not with any bad intentions, they are going to have a subconscious of, uh, bias to keep you in the position that, that, that you're in, because that is what's serving them utility in the world. And that's what their subconscious brain is going to make them decide and aim towards. So I think it's, uh, it's really beneficial. You know, maybe that's a, an applicable principle. Maybe it's not. But I would recommend only taking advice from people who you would 100%, without a doubt, trade your position in life with right away. Mm. I love that you mentioned that because I'm sure you know, obviously, with, with your industry, it's honestly like an information overload with content out there. Mm -hmm. um, and then just advice in general. It's like, yeah, people chirping in your ear all the time. So I think that's a true, like good advice right there to only really get advice from people you, first off, you trust and from people that are where you want to be, whether it's now in life or later. Yeah. So if someone's listening to this right now, and you're 18 and you want to do bigger than me by the time, you know, I just turned 22. Don't even listen to what I just said, you know, maybe, <laughs> or maybe, yeah. maybe it serves you well, you know, right. Uh, that's kind of a catch 22 there, but you, yeah, you get the point. Like uh, only take advice from the people who, who you would truly trade that position with. Yeah. Um, so your company was obviously bootstrapped, which I think is super cool, um, just because it seems like everyone's just trying to get venture funding as quick as they can. Um, so first off, like, how did you do that? And then second, I saw you grew from zero to, I want to say, like 28 employees, I think. Uh, so how have you kind of grown that staff base, especially with bootstrapping? I think that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, the bootstrapping process has been difficult, to say the least. Um, it just brings up challenges that that aren't, 
challenges for most businesses, but but are for us. Um, but the reason I I did prefer the bootstrap route was it requires you to accomplish some things. Number one, you have to drive a profit or you're screwed, uh, which I think far too many businesses are focused on top line revenue instead of profitability. The other thing too is you have to apply your learnings because the application of your learnings is what's going to help you uh, produce greater profitability and greater top line revenue. And therefore, without that, um, you're also going to be screwed. Um, so it's just one of those things where I think it is the best route, um, especially I think for younger individuals who, you know, if I were to go out and raise money, which I've been tempted to, and and I've gotten even advice to, and I know for a fact right now, even looking at our numbers, like I could go out and raise seven figures tomorrow. But what does that really do for me? You know, we have extra cash flow. I can afford nicer things. But I already mentioned earlier on the podcast, when I get nicer things, it makes me work less hard. So why would, yeah. <laughs> why would I put myself in a position where I don't have to work as hard as I, I do? Um, I mean, still, it's to the point this day, we literally, this is the company card right here. It is a, oh, I can't show it, but it is literally a debit card. Uh, for those wondering, we still to this day operate off of debit. I know I'm missing wow. so many points and, and stuff, and my business partners really hated me for it. And we, we are moving towards an actual credit card, but uh, I mean, we've operated off of like money in, money out, um, cash flow. And I think um, that's been the best process for us because you're so connected to the pulse of the company at all times, and there's never a, a, a facade or there's never anything that can hide because. It's right there in the numbers. Yeah. And I think you have much more ownership too, because you're like, damn, if we want to eat, if you will, then we got to keep putting in some grinding right here. Exactly. You know, it's one of those things where um, it's then your incentive isn't just to, hey, let me scale this company to $100 million so I can sell it and make a shitload of money because that's not really a great incentive. It's, hey, do I want to eat tomorrow? Okay, sick. Let's go out and, and do this thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Early on. You know that's exactly what it was, and 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 even to this day, like we operate with very slim profit margins across the board. I'm a very high risk CEO. I take very risky decisions financially. Um, I don't like to sit on cash, and and so even to this day, it's one of those things where we we do operate goddamn near close to zero, and and um, but that's the way to do it. And um, that that's and and to your point on how we've grown from zero to twenty eight. That's exactly how it's. We've been connected to the pulse of the company. We know that for each hire we make, it needs to net you know X in terms of revenue and profit at the end of the day. And um, the reason we've been able to grow so fast from zero to twenty eight is because I haven't that money hasn't been kicked back to me or other owners of the company or executives. Um, it's gone straight back into the business to hire more people and and serve mm. a greater mission. Um, so I think it's exactly that. It's it's ironic, but. What's fueled our growth the most has been the fact that we did bootstrap things, which means we got off the ground a little bit slower, but now it means we can accelerate with a little more speed. Yeah. It's kind of like that one step back in order to have three steps forward type of thing. Exactly. Exactly. How did you, um, how do you keep up the culture, I guess, with like a growing team like that, especially at a young age and young founder and everything? Yeah. I mean, it's difficult. Here's what I'll say though. And I'm no expert on HR culture. Um, but the reality is when, when you bring great people um, onto the team, that's one of the biggest drivers. Um, I would say the other is um, you have to be willing to get rid of those that don't support the culture, even if they are incredibly talented. 
Um, or, you know, even if you personally really enjoy what they do for the company, or even if they serve a great utility for the company, but, you know, maybe they're not a perfect fit for the culture. So, you know, I've had to make some very difficult hires where it's like, gosh, I really like this person and they're doing a great job, but they're not a great fit for the culture. Mm. Um, but that's the number one indicator for me. And, and there's even individuals in, our, in the company that um, maybe they weren't great at their job, but they were a great fit for culture. And I always just said, hey, we'll figure out the job part. That, that, that's the easy part. But I vibe with you. The company vibes with you. And therefore, you're going you're gonna to stick around and we're going to make it work. So, um, you know, granted for us, we employ mainly Gen Z. So building culture is a little bit easier. Um, but I would say, if anything, my advice would be having a bottom-up culture is really vital. Um, mm. It's really important that culture is not something pushed by executives. I mean, even now, I, I push very little of our actual company culture. It's all done by everyone else. And, and we just, that's how we do things. And it makes my life, honestly, a lot easier because I don't have to micromanage or try to push, push or force something onto people. It just happens naturally. Yeah. I liked your point there about... You can always teach someone how to do a job, but teaching the proper culture to someone if they're not a fit is probably a very strenuous process. Yeah, exactly. It's like how personalities and characteristics mesh is um, that's for psychologists to figure out, not business people. But yeah, someone how to edit videos, it's frankly, frankly doable. That's about an hour on YouTube and you'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Um, so I want to touch on a LinkedIn post and Instagram post you made. Uh, I thought it was really cool. Like I've watched it probably five times about, uh, just wearing a hoodie and a backwards hat on client meetings. Um, I thought it was super cool because I've never really thought about it that way. So I'd love if you could touch on that. I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah. I want to start with Chris. This is the first video without, with my hair in three months. So this is a very special interview. I shaved my head three months ago. I've been backwards hat ever since. And I'm still a backwards hat guy, but I just didn't have one center out. I'm honored. But, but yeah, I mean, to the post that you're alluding to, it's, um, it's actually a strategy where I want to get to a yes, no really quickly. And I want people to understand that when I say we're a Gen Z agency, it's a Gen Z agency, like very literally. Um, we're still professional, but we're not going to do a lot of the things that your corporate companies are going to do. Like that's just how we're going to operate because I, we're going to lean into what we're best. And, and that's why you're going to want to work with us. So I want people to know from the second we come face to face, you know, in person or digitally that this is who we are. And so our team, you know, we show up in hoodies, we show up backwards hats, we show up with crazy hair, like it doesn't matter. Um, but frankly, it's one of those things where, yeah, it's comfortable, but it's really a strategy, which is, um, hey, if me wearing a backwards hat on this meeting right now is a trigger for you and you don't like it, then this engagement is not going to work. And I'm glad that we got that out of the way now. <laughs> yeah. And it like, I think that proves to the client, like, dang, they must be doing really well if they could just honestly turn away a, a potential deal like this. That's really cool. Yeah, exactly. And I think that goes to point to the larger confidence picture, which I think, uh, I think confidence is something that you don't just see or hear, but, but you can sense it and you can almost smell it. And, um, you know, when you show up with that level of confidence, I think it says more about you than, than anything else you can actually even say. Mm, 
Yeah, and it's like less stuffy, honestly, just wearing a shirt or a, or a hoodie rather than a suit or something, I think, on these type of meetings. Oh, exactly. I don't know. I think the last time I wore a suit was maybe a funeral. That's that's it. <laughs> and that's obviously a sad situation, unlike getting a deal or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so what's going on with Gen Z, by the way? Like, I would love just like, what's going on in the world? What's going on just from the marketing side? I know you're kind of the master of all this, so. Yeah, you know, Gen Z, really captivating generation. Um starting to get a lot more attention and post 2021, you know, there's really three things that are on the mind for, for most brands and businesses right now. The number one thing is, is typically DCI um, and um, or DEI kind of depends on how you break it down, but diversity, equity, inclusion. Um, and then, you know, the second I would argue is probably sustainability and environmentalism uh, or how you support people. And then I think the third um, slash kind of social good. And then I think the third is Gen Z. And what you quickly realize is those are very much kind of looped into one another um, because each kind of drives the other um, in unique ways. So um, I think Gen Z overall is starting to get a lot more attention from brands as they age up. They're entering the workforce with um, and entering the workforce post COVID where I think we're about to enter a really interesting market for the next decade. There's going to be immense growth and opportunities and um, the creator economy is truly going to take fold. I think the world of NFTs are, is really showing that. Um, mm. So we have the convergence of a lot of different things and, and technologies and this decentralization that's happening happening everywhere. So I think we're about to see what is ultimately the, the most tech-enabled consumer um, and now employee uh, enter the market. And we're about to see the most powerful generation yet. Mm. Um, in terms of their influence on the market, on brands, on corporations, on our vision for the future. And, um, you know, it's just going to be an interesting time. And, and there's so many different segues I could dive into, but the bottom line is, is exactly that. And that's, that's a, you know, not only the bottom line, but that's what the headline should be is this is about to be the most powerful generation yet. And, and the entire market is going to see exactly why in about five years. Mm. That's awesome. So do you think it's because a lot of the Gen Z's like, you know what, like I want this ABC life, I'm going to do what it takes to get there or what? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, um, I think it's a lot of things. I think it's going to be post COVID a, a generation that doesn't want to go back to normal. They want to go back to better. Um, mm -hmm. Additionally, it's a generation that is seeing the unique opportunities in the market and looking to carve their own path. Uh, mm -hmm. Whether or not that's entrepreneurial, is, is aside from the point, but looking to carve their own path and do it their way. And they're coming to the market, both as a consumer and employer, as entrepreneurs, as freelancers, as all of those different uh, professions and, and, and I guess identities. And they're saying, hey, we're, we want to do things our way and we want to do better. And they're not going to take no for an answer. And there's no meat in the middle anymore. It's our way or the highway, um, which I think you see on the, the fringe with what is known as cancel culture, um, which is your, your more intense activist Gen Z that sometimes takes things way too damn far. Um, but the positive parts happen right in that middle. And that's where the true consumer actually lies. Um, consumer mm. and, and, and employee and entrepreneur and creator and all those things. Yeah. I like what you mentioned. It's just like, hey, this is how we want it. And this is what we're going to do to get to that level. Yeah. Yeah. It's very much, you know, millennials kind of set the stage for this by saying, Hey, yeah. what we want. 
but they didn't back it up with any sort of action. Whereas with Gen Z, you're seeing action now take place um, to levels that, frankly, we just haven't seen before from a collective generation. Yeah. What? So for the brands out there, you know, whether it's an executive listing or whether someone that owns their own, like I guess B to C brand. I mean, what advice would you give them to kind of target the Gen Z agency right now, or the Gen Z's Gen Z out there? Yeah. So I think number one is on the note of the brand um, pushing true authenticity, um, which is so ironic. I have to say true authenticity, but I do because so many brands want to. Um, you know, and I think when it comes to that, it's understanding how brands today are actually built. So when I say building a brand that's authentic, it's understanding where, well, where is that brand actually built? A brand is nothing more than a perception of a company and its products and services. And I think so many uh, professionals, especially in the marketing category, forget that sometimes as if a brand is the mission statement we write in our boardroom in our glass tower uh, or ivory tower, I should say. And so, you know, that said, I think it's understanding that brands today, they're built in the world. They're built online. They're built in conversation and they're, they're built across social networks that drive your Gen Z consumers. Um, and so that's my first note is, is build an authentic brand and do so out there. The second, I don't even have to say it, but you need to be pushing content across social channels and looking to engage consumers. Um, every B2C brand that's targeting Gen Z needs to be hitting TikTok hard for the next six months. And if they don't hit hard for the next six months, they're going to seriously regret that, um, which I've been you know, touting for two years now. So um, I, the, the, the timeline is shrinking. I'm telling you, the timeline is, in fact, shrinking when it comes to TikTok. Um, and then I think finally, I think get guidance from, um, you know, whether it's Gen Z individuals or, you know, those in your network or your employees or your community, but let those Gen Z consumers drive the, the the vision and the future for the company. You know, they're not looking for brands mm. to come into the market, say who they are and sell them some BS products and services. They're looking for brands to come into the market, fix a problem. And then they want to see how does that brand evolve to fit exactly what I need at a personal level. And they want to co-create with what that brand is. Um, mm. So I would say those three things. I would say, number one, it's, it's, a, it's an authentic brand, understanding how that brand is built. It's two, you need to be across every social network all the time, creating true, uh, truly authentic content. Um, and then I think number three is building up a community um, that is able to build up that brand rather than trying to build it yourself. Mm. Yeah, the community part's huge because word of mouth, they'll naturally kind of just share it for you if the community is there. Yeah, um, and, and a great example of this, because you know this is all just strategy, but a great yeah. example of this is... I, everyone go look at Truff hot sauce. Have you heard of Truff? No. Okay. I'm going to send you a box of Truff. T-R-U-F-F. It, um, their story is incredible. Essentially, they bought the Instagram handle for at sauce on Instagram. What they then did for two years was posted quote unquote saucy content. And I'm not making that up. That is literally a paraphrased quote from their podcast they did with that age. Well, then after they built up a massive community, they were like, hey, what if we sell hot sauce? And a year later, they have this black truffle infused hot sauce that is the hottest hot sauce brand in the market. It's the only DTC hot sauce brand that's crushed it like they have. And now they're looking at potential acquisitions from a lot of your players in there and they're dominating the space and they have the most loyal community ever. Why did that happen? It's because for, th for three years, they weren't trying to sell anything. They were just building up a community. And then they thought one day, wait a second, what if we sell something to it? 
And what brands need to understand and business owners listening is that their competition for the next decade is not the other businesses or brands that currently exist. It's the kid right now making a little dumb TikTok dance video with 100,000 followers that in six months is going to have a million followers. And then that girl who's 18 years old is going to launch a skincare brand online through Shopify with products she doesn't have to touch and directly compete with L'Oreal. And is she going to steal significant market share from L'Oreal? No chance. But when you multiply that by a thousand other girls, all of a sudden, there's a very interesting conversation to have. And that's going to take place across a variety of markets. And as the barriers to entry dissolve, we're going to see this everywhere. We saw it most recently in the fast food space where overnight, Mr. Beast, who has a combined double the following of McDonald's, Wendy's, and Twitter, er, and Burger King across all your main social channels, was able to directly launch a cloud kitchen-enabled platform and compete directly with those brands. And that sh- if that doesn't scare the hell out of you, I don't know what will. Um, because that's what brands need to realize is that's who their competition is. And the sooner that you can transform your brand to become an influencer and a thought leader, the sooner you can do that, the better you position yourself for the next decade. Yeah, man, that was some super powerful advice. I love, I love all of that. Like go back and rewind everyone listening and just listen to that again. That was awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, of course. That is, um, that is my manifesto for the next decade and we'll see how it plays out. Yeah. One point on that, it just baffles me when I see comments on a, uh, like a company's Instagram of a post and it, no, they don't comment back to the consumer. I don't understand that at all. I don't know if that's like good or bad, but it just, I think you should be commenting back in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, it shows the, it shows the, the, the lunacy that is big corporations trying to play in a social sphere. Um, and that's why we always push our brands to act like influencers and personalities. Um, this whole personified branding thing has become so hot over the past few years um, it needs to take another step up and, and brands need to act like true personalities and influencers and react accordingly in the marketing realm to that. Um, and we've seen brands do it well, and we've seen the majority of brands not be able to figure it out, but that's step one of a million different steps that need to be taken to, to do so. But it's so ironic because the, the best marketing strategy for a lot of these brands would be to get rid of about 95% of their marketing strategy. Um, too much strategy that's in decks and in boardroom conversations and not enough strategy that's living out in the real world. Mm. I, yeah. Like going back to the ivory tower example you mentioned earlier. Exactly. You know, we're going to waste all this time talking to each other and spend zero time talking to our consumers that, oh, by the way, before 10 years ago, to talk to them would have been the biggest hassle in the world. Instead, we can log into Twitter and see everyone that's mentioned to us for the past you know, 48 hours, 72 hours, you name it. We can do advanced search keywords to see exactly what they're saying, what they're talking about, and pull exactly what that is and know exactly what to do. But instead, no, we're going to ponder and think about it and try to come up with an answer for them when in reality, the market's literally telling us the answer. Yeah. Taking six months to figure out the answer. Someone's already figured out the answer while you're trying to figure it out. (laughs) So yeah, but again, great advice. Um, last question for you always, I always end on this one. So, uh, what would just be your one word to, to really just to describe the success you've had, I guess, in the last three to four years, ever since trendsetters has really taken off. Yeah. I mean that God, that's tough. Um, I would say lucky, 
which is weird, but, um, but it's true. I mean, so many things have had to gone right, have had to go perfectly right for us to be where we are. And granted, I think there's things that could have gone better in the short term that then we maybe would have messed up later. So I just think like the way things have played out, it's just luck. And yeah, you know, luck is derived from just being in the right opportunity, right place at the right time to be ready for that opportunity. And that's all we've done. Yeah. I love that. No one's ever used that word. I think it's like super unique. I'm glad to use that. Where, uh, where can people connect with you, by the way, like highlight what you got going on in the next few weeks. And then, uh, definitely like give everyone out there, where's the best place to connect with you on different socials. Yeah. So pretty much everywhere trendsetters without vowels. So T R N D S T T R S. Um, any social channel that myself, Jake Bajorseth, that's simply my handle pretty much everywhere. Um, so find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, you name it. Um, and definitely stay tuned with what we got going on with trendsetters, um, because there's a lot of magic happening there. And, um, by the time this podcast is aired, there, there's going to be a lot already moving. Yeah. And uh, plug on that, guys. I, I already know it's going to be awesome. So uh, just backing up what Jake was saying, Chris definitely knows. be on the lookout for this. Chris knows what's actually happening. <laughs> yeah, I know. Pay me $1,000. I'll, I'll tell you guys the secret out there to the listeners. <laughs> there we go. Once I get a little bit of commission, we're good. Oh, for sure. Nice, Jake. Well, hey, man, this was an absolute blast. Thank you so much for being on the show. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. Well, that's it, guys. Thanks again for taking the time to tune in to this week's episode of Next Level Minds. Really appreciate the support. Also, make sure to check out Jake on uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, and other social media avenues. Definitely check out Trendsetters as well. Pretty epic company. And uh, other than that, as we always like to say here at Next Level Minds, your mindset is your greatest weapon for the battle of success.